Jennifer Opal is a multi-award winning DevOps engineer and founder of the company Data But Make It Human. She is a technologist, writer, keynote speaker, student and neurodiversity and inclusion advocate. Data But Make It Human is a company that has a mission to humanize the tech industry by harnessing data insights to drive neurodiversity, inclusion and equity. Jennifer also created the Opal blog, a platform that has gained recognition for its human stories on her experience of being a black neurodivergent woman in the technology industry, as well as mental health. Jennifer has won and been nominated for various awards and in 2020 won the Rising Star Award at the Black Tech Achievement Awards. Jennifer is a passionate advocate for education, awareness, uh, diversity and inclusion, using her various platforms to talk about issues affecting the neurodivergent community, as well as LGBTQ plus issues and racial equality. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. That was such a major intro. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's impressive. I mean, I, I, um, I, always so thankful to TikTok in a way because I came across you on TikTok first of all and um oh, uh, it's, <laughs> yeah it's so I, I just loved your videos and I loved um your passion and excitement for tech and encouraging people into tech and I was so there's so many things that I want to talk about but I was like in the, the first time I saw your video I was like I need to get you on the podcast so <laughs> I'm so grateful you said yes <laughs> yeah oh my gosh I remember you just literally wrote those exact words and I'm like reach out to me let's do it like I'm, I'm absolutely open to it but thank you <laughs> oh, amazing well let's start with passion so um there's a lot in that description that you clearly you're passionate about so what uh yeah what are you passionate about and obviously it can be more than one thing but what really kind of lights your fire oh gosh I think um I think the biggest passion for me is first fight fighting for fighting for the invisible to be seen I think those are the big, that's like the biggest passion for me that has developed since getting into the tech industry, especially. Um, and I think that as a black woman and as someone that is neurodivergent and someone that is also queer and identifies as a lesbian as well, I think that I really want to make sure that I'm always open and transparent about who I am. I think we live in a world where we, unfortunately, like we experience so many challenges and we experience so many like so much discrimination for various different things. But I think that I've been able to have the career that I have because I've chosen to, despite how scary it is, honestly, to be so yourself. I am also aware that there are people that see me and see themselves, whether they're being in the tech industry or not. So I think that for me, the, that's the biggest passion that I, that's like the biggest passion for me. And I think after that would be tech, tech, and most mostly just data and information. Like I, I think it's just a really, um, it might just be an aut autistic special interest or something like that. I just developed and kicked up, but I've always been fascinated by information and facts and data and how that's used. Mm -hmm. um, so I would say that that's the the second passion for me, and it doesn't have to be like specifically like data related to tech related things but i just love absorbing information and just learning new things mm. so those are the two big passions for me yeah yeah i, I, I love that so there's but and and that's definitely something that comes across in your uh well TikTok, but social media is your your openness 
and wanting to help other people into into tech open the doors you're you're uh, you're deliberately not gatekeeping any of the sort of information that sort of allowed you your journey, I suppose. Oh, absolutely. Because I, when, when I got into the tech industry, I started my career as um, through the, the program um, from Code First Girls. And they do a intro to um, web development and it's a free course for women and non-binaries. And I got into that program but it was a free program for me. Then I got into another program with Code First Girls, which was, got me my first job at a major telecommunications company here in the UK. That was also a free program. So for me personally, I find that these programs were created by people, by people of color, by marginalized groups, for me to be able to get into this space. And yes, I did the work, 100%. I ha you have to do the work to be able to get into the space. You're not just expecting them to hold your hand throughout, like to learn everything. Um, but they created this opportunities for me to get in. So if, for me, it felt, it, it always felt quite hypocritical and uncomfortable for me to shut the door or charge people at the door to get into a space where I got into for free because someone else took the time to create a program and an opportunity for me to get in mm -hmm. and I to transform my life and transform the lives of my family and the people that I love around me so I think for me I've always been that person where I'm like I, I want to continue to hold the door open but I also express when I'm, I'm getting overwhelmed I also express when my mental health a bit too much or I'm, I, I'm not going to be able to apply to you straight away it might take me a while it might take me a few months um, I love that people, the community that I've created around me have been very understanding of that. Um, and I think that's really helped kind of drive me in my career and continuing to just continue to advocate. Even if it does feel small in some ways, I still find that I still feel like I'm making bigger impacts because if some someone has seen it or if mm. someone has noticed it, then I'm doing something right. I'm making a change somewhere. Um, and and that's what kind of continues to drive me yeah fantastic and so you were so your arrival your journey into tech mm. was it sounds it sounds like it was quite a, a sort of a quick swift journey um but you were in engineering before is that right yeah so my my career <laughs> career journey was so random um so I, I started, before I got into the tech industry, I was studying, um, I was training to become a psychodynamic therapist. Were so you? I know. Interesting, okay. I, I was volunteering um, and working with young adults at the, uh, at the Brent Council and also at the Brentford Community Sports Trust. So I was part of like a program and leading a program that was helping young, young adults there from, um, from um, struggling backgrounds. Um, so that was that my way of getting experience of working with young adults because I wanted to become a, a, a psychodynamic therapist that worked with young adults and, and young children. But then after studying counselling, I realised that I'm the one that needed therapy and I had no business being a therapist to anybody, especially someone else's child. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of trauma here. I cannot. <laughs> So I had to kind of step away from that, and I and I, I graduated, and it was great, and I got an offers from an offer from Mark, from um, Goldsmiths to study my masters in counselling, 
and I turned it down and I was like I just I, I love counseling I love working with young adults but this isn't it for me um so I just went to university and was like what's an easy course for me to get into so I can figure out what the next step is and I just decided to go for business and French language um and then in my second year Code First Girls came to my um university um I did it in I applied for their intro courses they were offering to students for free and it was intro to web development once a week for eight weeks and it completely just opened my mind to just how creative this skill was mm -hmm. and as a child growing up I didn't have engineers around me or doctors or anything like that my family bus drivers uh, truck drivers deliveries that they, they, they were very uh, working class so I never saw doctors and engineers and I didn't really although you know my mom very much encouraged and said yeah like, that's that's possible for you but I think it's different when they say it from when you actually see it um but I didn't know that was an option for myself um so when I finished that program the following year Code First Girls launched um what was then known as the further program but it's now known as the Code First Girls degree and I got onto that program so that's part of the first cohort finished the program it was like a three-month program long and from completing the program you got the opportunity to do interviews um for jobs at um a telecommunications company in the UK and I got through to the interview rounds I got the job offer and they said what do you want to do because if you take this job we're gonna have to leave London and move to Belfast to Northern Ireland and I'm like whoa I guess I'm moving <laughs> So I decided to just take the plunge and I, I dropped out of university and I left and I moved to, to Belfast and I've been here since. And when I got here, I realised that I was the only black woman working for the company and there was a head office of about 600, 500 people. And then came to realise I was the only black person. There was nobody else. Mm -hmm. um, and I think after a while, and I called, that, called it out, to the CTO's attention when they came to visit for an all hands. And um, he admittedly said he didn't even think of that. And um, we had a conversation because I asked him like, why, why am I the only black person here? <laughs> uh, especially if we've come through a program that's supposed to increase diversity, why am I the only one here? Um, but we, I, I like the fact that he was transparent and said that he didn't think about it. And we had a conversation and, I continued to advocate, but it became exhausting. Mm -hmm. um, but I think using my voice on LinkedIn and Twitter and things like that, but it was great. Like, I think like once, um, once I uh, started the advocacy journey, it just didn't stop. And I, I didn't see myself as an advocate. I just saw myself as someone sharing my experience, honestly. Um, and all the opportunities just kind of floried from there yeah yeah it's amazing the doors that open i suppose when you when you open you're open to the possibility of change or something different you know you started off on one path and then it changed it changed again and 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 now you're you're there um but i think that's a really interesting point about advocacy and the exhaustion of advocacy or the you know you you've got your job to do as well alongside you know trying to uh, change the world you know, even if it's just your corner of the world for the better, um, how how are you kind of? Uh, I guess how are you taking care of your mental health in in all of that? I think for me, over the years, I've had to step away from thinking about the numbers on things. 
um, or think or comparing myself to other people in their advocacy. Um, I think that like sometimes I would become so focused on oh my gosh I don't have as many followers of this person I don't have any as many views as this person or this person is now doing a book or this person is now got like a hundred thousand on their blog and things like that but I think for me I have focused on the fact that when I have a platform and I use my platform for good and I share my experience I'm transparent even if one person has seen it I've done something good and you never know who that person could be. Um, and I, I I can only hope that from my transparency, it also helps that person. But stepping away from thinking about the numbers has really helped me 100%. Um, the second thing that I would say is I don't follow people or engage with people that constantly talking about having to be consistent all the time. I have ADHD. I take medication for my ADHD. I'm autistic. I have dyslexia and dyspraxia, I have a full-time job, you're not going to get consistency out of me, like you're just not going to do that and I had to kind of think about what consistency looks like to me and for me it's the fact that I'm doing something rather than nothing shows that I'm being consistent and I think that from doing that I've been able to kind of go to sleep and just be restful, I'm not thinking about oh my gosh like there's this comment, there's that message, there's this view, there's this tweet, maybe I should this maybe I should talk about this because everyone else is talking about it no um it's it's not healthy it's not if, if you're getting to a point where you are constantly doing that and it becomes your entire world that everything else comes second including your mental health you're going to crack at some point and I've cracked before and I and I, I, I refuse to ever be in that situation again um, and I'll say the last thing that I do to prioritize my mental health is when it comes to looking for jobs. Um, I've gotten to a point where I can't really hide the fact that I am, I can't really hide the fact that I am neurodivergent. I've advocated for it so much. Yes. So when it comes to the interviews, they may not necessarily be familiar with my platform, but I know that a simple Google or something and they will probably find out that I'm neurodivergent. I am very open about it in my interviews now. So I'll mm. just say, hey, if they say, oh, do you have any questions? And yes, so I have that, 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 that. Do you have accommodations? And how does that work? How does it look like? Um, what can I ask for? Can I ask for flexibility? Um, things like that. And I think that has protected me from working in some unhealthy working environments. I think from the first company that I worked for, I ended up in therapy at the end of the, my journey with them. And I was in therapy for four months, recovering from the impact of my mental health there. Mm-hmm. And then having that on top of the isolation and the loneliness of being the only one in a work environment like that, mm-hmm. it takes a toll so much. You're burying and burying and burying. At some point, you're gonna have to face what you've actually buried. But for me, once I faced it, I was like, I can't be here anymore. Yeah. Um, so I've been lucky enough that since then, I've been, I've kind of had a, been able to trust my intuition and trust my gut with things that I can spot when something just isn't right about an organization during the interview process. And I have no issue in pulling out of a job application journey if I feel like something isn't right. Mm. So yeah, those are the three things I would say.
yeah amazing and i think i think i really hear you talking there about your i suppose the only way you can really advocate for yourself is by really knowing yourself and and knowing your needs knowing who you are um and so i i think yeah let's let's talk about the neurodivergence uh for a minute because you're absolutely right like uh we often get uh assimilated into a neurotypical kind of way of being and and world and it can take a little while to extract ourselves out of that once we know more about ourselves um your i love your uh on your auto reply on your email you talk you know clearly there about um you know i'm neurodivergent i'm dyslexic this might mean that um i take a few days to get back to you if I don't reply, give me a nudge. And so I, I love it when I see people really kind of claiming what they need um, from from everyone. <laughs> um, what it, it, can you talk a little bit about your sort of the, the barriers that you've had to, uh, I guess, maybe even education, but just sort of progress in general? Uh, I, I, yeah, have you have you always known that you're neurodivergent? Has that come later? A little bit about that journey. Sure. Um, when it comes to the barriers, I think it's something that impacts a lot of women and, and black women, especially we get diagnosed later on in life. I knew from when I was, I would say probably primary school. So I must have been maybe like five. No, I would have been maybe seven or eight. I don't know how I came to learn about dyslexia. But it was just a word that I just had in my head for it. It's like I knew that was me. Mm. Uh, it just wasn't spotted in school. Uh, I was always described as someone that was quite bright and very smart and intelligent and things like that. And that's that's great. But I think that when it came to things like solving a math equation, and I knew the answer, and I remember writing it down and then getting the answer wrong because I didn't write it down, but I answered it in my head. It was just like, but I, I wrote the answer. Like, I know what the answer is. And the teacher would be like, oh, don't worry. People make mistakes all the time. And in my head, I'm like, but that, that wasn't a mistake. Like, I, I, I know I wrote the answer. Um, but I guess I guess it's the difference between answering it in your head and actually writing it down. But things happen. And I, and I, I moved on from it. But I think that I started to accommodate myself when high school started to hit in. So when it came to you, passing my exams once the teachers told me the themes to expect from the exams I started memorizing facts and information for those themes which helped me to pass my exams so it'll just be a question of repeating 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 things so it stays in my head but once that exam was done you couldn't ask me about questions that came up in that exam I couldn't tell you um, I wouldn't have no idea, and I still don't even remember much about my high school exams and my GCSEs. But I, I, I didn't realize, like, until much later on in life, that I really accommodated myself a lot mm. in ways that I didn't know. Um, it didn't help as well that I was also bullied in high school, but I isolated myself a lot. So every lunchtime, I ended up creating a routine. Every lunchtime, I would go to the music club. And I'll be on the piano all the time, figuring out how to play something that I really enjoyed and I have my headphones in, I'm in my little corner where no one can see me. Like I, 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 I created ways for me to kind of wind down and kind of 
wind down from being so overwhelmed from having to be around so many people then kind of to isolate myself kind of self-soothe and have a creative outlet I created a structure a routine for myself not realizing that that was also something that was also connected to my autism and I wasn't diagnosed at the time so fast forward to university and this was just after the first intro um, coding course I did with co-first girls I was diagnosed with ADHD, dyslexia and dyspraxia in March 2018. I was 27 at the time. So when that happened, I was like, okay, dyslexia, I was expecting because you give me a book that has the tiniest bit of writing and it literally feels like they're all crawling all over me. Like, I don't know how else to explain it. It felt incredibly overwhelming, anxiety inducing, and I'd be so hard on myself that I simply just couldn't read all of a sudden um then i was like okay well dyslexia i know what that is dyspraxia i had to kind of figure out and i'm still trying to learn and understand what that is and adhd same thing still trying to learn and understand how that looks like for me um because i've gone 27 years without knowing officially so what 27 years to catch up on of getting to know of getting to know these things then when i found out i was autistic it was actually earlier this year in february and i went in to therapy I wasn't looking for a diagnosis I was looking for a therapist um and this was just after like about a year after I came out and I wanted to go into therapy and being in my in a relationship as well in a queer relationship I I wanted to just get some advice I wanted to get some understanding and I wanted to do some unpacking for myself too the first session the therapist asks me like has anyone ever one asked you if you're autistic and I'm like no I've had that in, my, in the back of my mind, but I was like, oh, maybe I'm just like, there's so many overlaps with it with, with neurodiverse, with being neurodivergent. I just didn't want it to be me trying to diagnose myself or something or trying to kind of say, oh, yeah, this is me as well. Because I know that people tend to use social media a lot to diagnose themselves. And I guess it can be fine when it's like, it's fine when you're starting on that path to kind of learning more about yourself. But I didn't want it, I didn't, I didn't want to do that for me. I was like, yeah, I've already got ADHD, dyslexia, and dyspraxia. That's more than enough. Let me figure that out first. Let me try and diagnose myself with something else. Uh, when I found out I was autistic, it was, it, it felt like it made sense in terms of the questions that they were asking me. And then I was like, but that also, and I was trying to tell myself, well, but it could be ADHD as well. Like maybe you're just wrong and things like that. And I, I was trying to like, kind of dismissing, my, dismissing it in my head. But no, like it started to resonate more and more. And I started to believe it before she even gave me the full result. So yeah, and then I was diagnosed earlier this year at the age of 32 that I am autistic. So I think that, I feel like as when you're, if you're not a young white boy, you're mm -hmm. likely to get diagnosed much later in life. That's just what research is out there. They, they haven't really studied, there's not a lot of studies on um, ADHD and autism in young girls as well as dyslexia and dyspraxia i don't think there's a lot of research on that in young girls let alone in um black people and people of color as well so we tend to get diagnosed much later on in life and we live in a society that tells us we have to act a certain way so we we now have also learned that we have we've had to mask for all these years because society tells us to so then once we get to the diagnosis it's like you telling me that I've been 
hiding all of this. I can actually kind of remove those masks in some way. Um, but yeah, like it was, it's, it was quite a journey. I think the autism mm. came with a surprise. The dyslexia didn't, but everything else did. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I think diagnosis is is, is uh, self diagnosis is also valid, but there is something that I found particularly validating about the the diagnosis process, which I I find frustrating. You know, I find it frustrating that, that it takes that to sort of um, sometimes make you feel like you know there is a a legitimate reason. Someone else has said that there is a reason why things have been difficult or you know you, you, you're different you, you you you're just different from neurotypicals 100 like i i think that the waiting list as well like like so many people have been waiting for an adhd diagnosis um for so long and i think that the waiting list last i checked is about two years now just mm -hmm. to even get to the stage of having an assessment and, and and it's 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 ridiculous it shouldn't be taking this long um and I know that a lot of people are having to resort to going to get diagnosed privately, but then even getting diagnosed pri privately because of the demand, they're now bumping up the prices, which means that there's now an inaccessible um, resource for people to get diagnosed and to kind of figure out, okay, what resources do I need and how can I protect myself in the workplace from discrimination? Yeah. Because I need that diagnosis to protect myself in the workplace, you yes. know? So there's so, it's, there's so many reasons why um, getting an official diagnosis is so important, but the barriers in place to get that self-diagnosis absolutely, absolutely is valid. People need answers and they find answers from reaching out to the community, from listening to professionals that are openly talking about it. I've had people look at like me talking about ADHD and how it looks like for me. And it's now encouraged them to get a diagnosis. They're like, this has literally been my life. Mm. And I, I even had someone once message me say that they got diagnosed with ADHD at the age of 54. Mm. And, I, and I was just like, whoa, you should not have had to wait so long, but you should have known so much sooner. Mm. And I think like it, it's 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 such a shame that it's taking this long, but I can only hope that things just improve and get better and better to a point where it is accessible for everybody, mm. even the and even those that are low, of low income as well like it should be something that anyone can just get access to yeah yeah good point um <clears throat> so if we were to talk about purpose um do you feel like your purpose is different to your passion um I, I think it's always really an interesting conversation to talk about purpose because it's a it's a word we don't tend to think about very often but yeah what what would you say your purpose is if you have one at all <laughs> just it's interesting. I feel like my purpose is to is to make a difference, and and I know it sounds so strange, like saying it, and it, it seems so simple, but I think that the work that I've done, um, this like the the work that I've done and been a part of, and the, and the spaces that I've been invited into has 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 actually like helped me to see that there's purpose aligned in everything that I'm doing and I think it's leading to me making it an impact and a difference in a way that helps other marginalized groups with neurodivergent people um those that are um queer and neurodivergent but I think the, the key pinnacle is for those that are neurodivergent 
Um, and I think that because I find that although I don't have like, you know, hundreds of thousands of followers on TikTok or whatever. So on 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 TikTok, I think it's like under 8,000 followers. But even with under 8,000 followers on TikTok, I've I've been invited to speak at Tech Show London about AI and neurodiversity. I've been invited to speak at Hacker Job Conference, the Hacker Job Dev Lab conferences. And the most recent one earlier this year was held at the Sky Head office in London. I've been invited into those spaces to talk about my tech journey and talk about being neurodivergent in tech. Then being invited to talk about um, AI and neurodiversity in Forbes, of all places. Like never would I have imagined that would be something that I would be doing. And then winning awards along the side of that. There's so many spaces that I've been invited into and they said, okay, you're in this space speak say what you want to say 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 what difference you want to change what work do you want to do and I think that's where I feel that whenever I get off a stage or get off a posting a TikTok or posting a tweet and it resonates with people even just like something as simple as just referring somebody that's neurodivergent to get a job somewhere and um or job interview even there's so there's so much power in that it really just brings joy to me and and I think that that where my that's where my purpose lies is is keeping the door open and and making a difference and and making an impact for neurodivergent people because because these opportunities don't come from seeking followers I think these 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 opportunities come from a, when you are authentic within yourself and then and, and you allow the message to speak so I feel like for me allowing my message to speak and my message has literally been my story just my journey my life story is my message and there are other people that have the same journey as me or similar and resonate and it's like I want to get to a point where in in a few years I can apply for a job and there's going to be other people there that look like me like I'm gonna like have the opportunity to work with an engineer, another programmer that's also a black woman, that's also um, black and queer or, or neurodivergent. And I, I, I'm lucky enough that I had the chance to work with neurodivergent people in my previous team when I was working at Dropbox as a DevOps engineer. It was an amazing, amazing team. And um, I, I loved working with neurodivergent people. And everyone was so transparent and open about being neurodivergent and open about their mental health and open when they needed to just kind of step away and take a day because they were feeling overwhelmed. It was just a normal thing. Um, I want to see that so much more. Mm. And I want to be able to see more teams like that. And I, and I want to be able to see other people also be inspired by my work and continue doing it, you know, so that they see the change that they need to see. So I, I feel like that's where my purpose lies. It's something that I fell into, but it's something that I, that I, I feel like I may have fallen into it, but it feels, it feels like it found me for a reason. Yeah. But I just continue to push with that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love that description. It sort of sounds like you've kind of, you've, falling into a career sounds a bit like you had nothing to do with it but that's you ended up in a career um that has then really ignited a passion within you for um uh education advocacy you know that that and and that sort of led to your purpose which has led i guess to you feeling fulfilled i hear you kind of um 
being you know proud of the the fact that that this is what you're doing and it, it and I guess there's some level of fulfillment in that oh 100 percent and I and I think that's also really helped my mental health too because when yeah. I started to focus on the followers and the amount and the views and the and, the, and getting like opportunities like everybody else and comparing like the comparison that's the one I'm looking for that's what I'm looking for the comparison to other creators and other advocates I, I realized that I was doing myself a disservice um I think that the saying goes that comparison is the thief of joy I'm not really mm-hmm. sure who said that but um it really is and it's it's definitely the thief of your mental health too um and your happiness because you you lose the joy like it doesn't become something that you want to do sometimes it just it turns into a chore when you focus on things that are very materialistic when it comes to your advocacy journey and um the impact that you're trying to make what is what is the reason why you're doing what you're doing um but I think that I think that that has really doing doing that and allowing myself to just kind of say do you know what I'm just going to speak and and share and share my thoughts and be myself and whatever happens happens and I hope it speaks to somebody and most of the time it actually does and I feel so amazing because then I I have videos and, and 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 blogs or YouTube videos or tweets where people are like Jennifer was one of the first black people that I saw getting into the tech industry and talking about it there was many of us that were talking about it back then um but I I, I on Instagram I had less than like 3,000 followers but I but me sharing my story someone saw it mm-hmm. and then that one person can now inspire other people and inspire other people and inspire other people like that's what purpose is it's not necessarily focusing on yourself as the person as an individual is about focusing on what comes after that what's the impact you want after that and mm-hmm. I think that's what, that and for me that's what really drives me because mm-hmm. even getting a message where someone says oh my gosh like I got into tech because of you and I'm just like wow like I, 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 I never really imagined that someone would be able to, like, I never thought that my, my tweet or me just talking about having ADHD or talking about being an diagnosed autistic, however it might be, I didn't think that it would have that much of an impact, but mm. someone saw it and it made a difference for their lives. And then the impact continues. And I think that's what, that's what impact should be. That's what your purpose should be. That's what should drive you. So that's what drives me yeah yeah which kind of leads me nicely on to the power question because um i i find i found it really fascinating asking particularly women when do you feel most powerful because we don't tend to get encouraged to be powerful people we 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 sometimes think about or hear about you know empowering women but i think there's a difference between asking you know uh maybe what empowers you and when do you feel powerful Mm. there's there's quite it it, 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 is challenging people to kind of really think about I'm allowed to be powerful and so what yeah what what makes you feel powerful oh 
I think for me, what makes me feel powerful, it's going to sound, it might sound strange. I feel like many of my answers always sound strange. It's probably not. <laughs> but um, <laughs> I think what makes me feel powerful is rest. Mm. And I, I, I say that because I think that when, I think as a woman for myself, I have lived a life and I think for many women, especially like for myself as an eldest daughter, I'm an eldest daughter and the only daughter, we are conditioned, whether knowingly or not, we are conditioned to put everybody else first. Mm. Family, whether it be friends, whatever it might be, that carries on into your adult life. Um, even for myself from a personal perspective, when it comes to asking for gifts or even like my partner would be like, Babe, what do you want for Christmas? Like, what do you want for your birthday? And I'm just like, I don't know. I don't know. And then they're just like, you're not really, like, I, I want to be able to give you something, but you're not good at asking for things. <laughs> and I'm like, but I've never been, and I look back and I'm like, I've never really been, like, given the opportunity in this space to kind of think about what I like. I've always been so good at giving to others and giving and giving and giving. I don't know how to give to myself. Mm. So I feel most powerful when I give to myself and rest. When I when I put on my when I turn on the, the do not disturb, when I allow myself to just walk around in my dressing robe and and take my makeup off and eat whatever I want to eat or whatever, but having that time of rest is me being selfish mm. and giving my, myself permission to be selfish because I'm, I've, I think that many of us are taught that being selfish is wrong but when you when you are selfish and you're putting yourself first that is such a powerful thing for me and I think that that has really allowed me to take power over myself and being in, in learning to be selfish in ways that will make me happy where I don't have to give to others. I don't have to worry about other people or anyone else. I just have to worry about myself. And it's not to say that I don't feel powerful when I'm giving to other people. Um, I, I, I love giving to other people. I, I love giving gifts. I love putting thoughts into gifts. I love giving people my time. I love giving people um, space. But I think that I, I sometimes can give too much where I struggle to sometimes say no. Mm. And I overthink saying no to things um but when I do say no and I get response like okay well that's okay maybe another time I'm just like oh my god such a relief I was overthinking this so much I was so scared I was overthinking I was worried about what you think of me I'm worried about you think you think that I'm this or a bad person or mean but it always feels so good when you do prioritize yourself and I think that rest has really been something that I've actually had to teach myself how to do and learn how to do. If that makes sense. I don't know if that makes oh, sense. I love that answer. I love because, you know, what you've talked about is, you know, following your passion, finding purpose in advocacy and education around neurodivergence and uh, all of those kinds of things. You've talked about like it being really amazing when someone contacts you and says, you've really inspired me and I'm going to go into tech because of this. And, the, and, and to know that the thing that makes you feel powerful is rest and actually putting yourself first. You've learned how to know your needs, know what you, what you want. You want to just be able to be yourself. And um, so I think, I think that that's such a lovely example of, of, 
there's power in what you do in 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 terms of power being energy movement you are moving people you're moving ideas and uh 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 <laughs> what's the word i'm looking for um you are transforming uh, an industry um uh, you uh, not just solely responsible for that but you are you know definitely uh transforming a lot of things uh, but but so to know that your power also lies in rest is just so exciting to hear i love that yeah, I think I think that if you'd have asked me a few years ago, the answer probably would have been very different. I think I probably would have said that I feel powerful on stage or I feel powerful when I'm, you know, sitting in a board meeting, you know. Um, but I, I or, or when I finish something at work, but I think that I've I've had to really ask myself that question quite a lot over the years and 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 I think that sometimes we tend to tie our power to doing things. Yeah. And a lot of the things that we're doing is more so necessarily sometimes can be for other people mm -hmm. or for it to be seen by other people. That's when we feel the most powerful. But you can feel powerful and you're the only one in the room. You know, you can feel powerful when you're alone. Mm -hmm. um, and I, and it, it took me a while to learn that. And I think that me learning that has given me so much self-confidence. I think not just in my career, my career journey, but also in terms of my creativity, in terms of my self-love, um, in terms of being able to love others, loving my my siblings, my family, my my future family-in-law, um, like what and my partner, like being able to um, you know like I give to them and I, I also receive from them but I think that just loving giving to myself has allowed me to learn how to love others and and hear others and listen to others in ways that are um truly just beautiful and authentic and special um and it's also allowed me to kind of do a lot of deep work and kind of like unlearning some things and I think that you know when especially when you come out as queer you're also asking yourself a lot of questions as you're in that journey too. And I'm going to spend, like, I, I came out at 30. I came out three years ago. So I was 30 um, when I came out publicly, but I came out to myself in my mid-20s. Mm. Um, but I think that, like, when it comes to the... What am I trying to say? I think when it comes to that time of feeling powerful of in rest, mm. it's allowed also feel powerful in loving myself as I'm evolving yeah. and have creating that space for myself to see how much I'm evolving and how much I'm growing and to ask myself questions because when you're surrounded by noise when are you going to have the time to really ask yourself those questions and I, and I think that's why also the, the the pandemic was so monumental for a lot of people mm. they had no choice but to stop they had no yeah. choice but to literally sit and rest and and literally listening although that there was so much happening but they had no choice but to sit with their internal thoughts and that's why that mm. season was such a pinnacle season for pretty much everyone across the world and and i came out of that and i just felt so um although i caught covid as well and so glad I, I i recovered from that but i think that there was a lot of time for me to really 
dig deep for me and mm. I'm glad that I had that season so I'm intentional to just love being powerful in rest mm. I think that's something that everyone should I think we should normalize that a lot more <laughs> yeah gosh, absolutely I think it you know at the time of the pandemic um I was uh working for a company who um help trans people access hormones privately um and it I would hear it time and time again in the in their stories of um yeah the pandemic was really instrumental in me being able to go okay I, I've had to stop everything that normally keeps us very busy and therefore you know we we end up on a track that perhaps is not the right one for us um I so I, I think the whole conversation today has been around being authentic and having you're absolutely right having rest having time to really think about what you need allows the next bit of the journey I guess that's how you figure out what's next a hundred percent a hundred percent I I I, I no longer allow people to guilt trip me in what I can and can't. <laughs> I can't because I think that we, 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 society has kind of set expectations of how we should live our lives. And a lot of the lives that they want us to live is to make them comfortable. And it also sets a standard that many of us just can't meet in some mm. ways. Like, I, I, I will never be able to. If, if I need to take medication for my ADHD, I will never navigate this world like someone who doesn't have that. Mm. It's just how it is. I'm going to struggle in keeping a routine. My ADHD is literally a battle with my autism to have a routine in place. I'm going to have those days where my routine is just not going to happen. Mm. And that's okay. What can I do instead for the rest of the day? What can I do the next day? But for a neurotypical person, they can probably have a routine and just go on about it and they might not necessarily experience that guilt of not being able to wake up when the alarm said that they should wake up mm. i have tremendous amounts of guilt sometimes when i don't follow my routine but i've i've had to really kind of talk to myself out loud and say it's okay mm. it's okay it's okay you're this is just how your brain is it's okay and trying to be more loving on myself trying yeah. to be more um trying to embrace myself and be more forgiving of myself my brain is the way that it is I was born with the brain that I have I can't change that there's no operation there's no treat like there's nothing I just have to learn how to navigate it but just because I have the accommodations to be able to learn how to navigate life as a neurodivergent person in a fast-paced industry like tech mm. as well trying to advocate for change in that fast-paced industry I, I I have I have to give myself grace like you have to give yourself grace the accommodations also doesn't take away the fact that I am very much still disabled it yeah. doesn't change that I can have all the support that I need I'm still disabled I can take my glasses off I still can't see and I have a prescription okay I need them you know I can still see I just can't see clearly you just you, you, it doesn't take away the fact that I need them you know it doesn't take away the the fact that the the condition like my existence and the things that I need to navigate life is, is still very much there um but yeah living in a world where sometimes this is not a lot of understanding it's hard and it's exhausting Mm. so for me rest has just been rest is important 
advocating in your own way is important. Mm. It doesn't matter about the numbers. Not comparing yourself to other people is so pinnacle. That really helps your mental health and making sure that you're selfish and taking time. And there's nothing wrong with being selfish, especially if it protects you and it protects your mind and it protects your mental space. Yeah. Amazing. Um, that's, I think that's been so helpful. I think, and, and I hope, you know, will and people watching and listening will feel quite inspired by your story and, um, that seems to be what happens wherever you go is that that it's it, because even just someone whether it's just on their, their the start of their tech journey or on the start of their neurodivergent awareness journey having someone who's been through uh you know a certain part of that even though some of it's been quite recent for you um mm. you're learning you're sharing your learning and sharing the fact that you know yes you are allowed to have accommodations something you said that I I really recognize in my own mind and experiences you know your brain is the way it is I I have to tell myself that a lot and I've learned how to be more compassionate and kind uh to myself as well um and I I want that for everybody really (laughs) oh definitely definitely I think that I think that I mean people kind of frown upon like talking talking to yourself and I think that there's levels to this but I, I like talking to myself because I, I have to, my, if my brain already sounds like a busy coffee shop, I'm not going to hear myself think by talking in my head and keeping my mouth shut. I need to hear myself speak. Yeah. So if I need to talk to myself and say out loud, it's okay. I'm going to say it out loud that it's okay. And I have to say that because I need to hear myself say it. Yeah. Some people will be comfortable with that write it down even if you're writing it over and over and over again it doesn't have to be perfect you don't have to have it in order just grab a piece of paper and just write it down and I'm trying to kind of teach myself that you know especially when you're when you have ADHD the likelihood of perfectionist tendencies are also high it's very common with us so I think that I've had to try and I'm slowly trying to unlearn the perfectionist in me um, I think also growing up as an eldest daughter as well, like <laughs> really not trying to, um, it's, it's really difficult to unlearn unlearn that as well. Um, but I think that talking to myself and speaking to myself has really done so much work for me yeah. and has really helped me in not comparing myself to other people when it comes to my journey, because my journey is very different. Yeah. to the journey of others whether it be their coming out journey how they got into tech mm-hmm. um, how they got diagnosed whatever it might be it's going to be different it might resonate with some people but it's going to be different my story is different to others but it's my story my, and I can't I can't compare that to other people I don't know their journey I, mm-hmm. I and I will never know their journey and in some cases, what they share may not be the entire truth. There may be even more detail that they haven't shared. How would I know that? Mm. So it's, it's, I can't compare myself to that because mm. you can't compare yourself with what people choose to share and mm. what they choose not share. That's exhausting. Yeah. So, yeah, just prioritise you. Yeah. And and on that note of um, you know talking out loud to yourself, there's something really powerful in that. I, and, and, and sometimes... 
uh, it's good enough just to kind of say it internally or write it down. But there is an there is a part of your kind of uh, nervous system that is listening for how you, we already have a usually quite a critical inner voice. So if we can counteract that with a, a compassionate, kind voice that is out loud saying it is OK, you are OK, it is going to be OK. That, it's almost like every cell, every cell in your body and your nervous system is waiting to hear that to just relax and just, you know, lean into it rather than be so driven or pulled off by the critical voice we have. Oh yeah, definitely. It like, it helps so much. And I, I used to be that person, be like, oh my gosh, like, everyone's always saying to to journal, to say your affirmations. <laughs> it sounds so cheesy, like and cringy. I'm like, oh, you guys are all doing it because it's a trend. But um. I will say that kind of talking to myself has actually done so much work for me as a person in, in many ways. Um, and, and I think that, that, and I honestly believe that that really helped me to get to the point where I find power and rest. Yeah. And I, I, found my, I found my purpose in advocacy and, and making an impact. I found my, my, my joy in that as well. Um, but getting to a point where I can actually say I find my power in rest mm. is is such a powerful thing for me but talking to myself has really allowed me to get there yeah. so I encourage everyone to talk to themselves like even even if it's just a little whisper do it yeah. um sometimes I, I want to go for a walk so I will talk to myself while I'm out for a walk but what I'll do is I'll pretend I'm talking on the phone I'm, yeah. on the phone. I'm just talking to myself but no one needs to do that I yeah. just have my phone on silence so my phone doesn't ring and I'm not out here looking crazy. Um, and, you know, <laughs> refuse the secondhand embarrassment or the fact that everyone will now know that I was pretending to talk on the phone. Um, but I put my phone on silent or do not disturb and I just talk on the phone, but I'm really just talking to myself and I go for a walk. And honestly, it's, it's the best therapy that I've ever had. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's amazing well I I could talk to you all day I yeah I still feel like there's like you know so much that we could explore um but uh we probably should end it there um because time and everything um thank you so much for agreeing to come on thank you so much for sharing so much of yourself and your story it's so inspiring and um yeah I'm really grateful grateful that you were uh, able to do it Oh, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you. It's been amazing. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for listening to this episode of the podcast. And I really hope you enjoyed it. Please like and subscribe. And if you really want to help me out, I would love it if you could leave me a review and share my podcast with friends who you think would also enjoy it. This podcast was produced by Lexi at Digital Hero. And the music was created by Charlie at Walters Music Productions. <laughs> Thank you.